Shoulder of Orion is brought to you by the generous support of our incredible patrons. To learn more about joining our Patreon, please visit www.perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Why? Because that was the plan. I showed them how to scramble the records, cover their tracks. Everyone had a part. Mine was to leave. Then the blackout came, paved over everything. Couldn't have found the child if I tried. Did you want to? Not really. Why not? Because we were being hunted. I didn't want our child found, taken apart, dissected. Sometimes to love someone, you gotta be a stranger. To Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. I am your host, Jane Prater, and I'm joined by my host, Patrick Green, and Dan Ferlito. And today we're here to talk about Deckard, Rick Deckard. And um, we are kind of going back and forth between discussing elements of 2049 and elements of 2019. And we feel like Deckard, like Kay, who you guys will hear us talk about soon enough, um, is a character that we haven't discussed a lot. Um, and he's kind of not that we have purposely not discussed him. There's just a lot to talk about, and he hasn't been one character that we've we've uh, focused in on. And tonight we're doing that. That's the show, Three, four. That's the No, four, two, two, four. That's the And noodles. That's the Today we're going to get started, and um, Patrick, you can kind of explain what we're not going to talk about um, <laughs> in terms of Deckard, because there, you know, there's Deckard is very interesting. Um, both all three of us had to kind of get our thoughts together about Deckard, and I had some like, okay, what am I going to talk about? Because he's complicated, and he's not. He's just there's a lot there, and some of it's kind of like, well, what is he in this story? Does he be, not the, does he belong in the story? Is he the audience? Does he matter? Um, and those are things that we're going to get into. But there's also another, you know, that the big question as to whether whether Deckard is a replicant or not. And uh, Patrick is going to kind of explain why we're not going to talk about that. Yeah, so well, so so here's the thing. All right, so before we went to record tonight, I figured, you know, I might as well look Deckard up online and, and be like, maybe maybe there'll be some articles on him that I haven't read before. I'll find some like tidbits I can share with the guys. And, and literally every single Google search was, is he a replicate? Is he a replicate? Is he a replicate? And I'm like, it's it's like this this stupid debate that's been. It's not okay. It's not a stupid debate. It's a totally valid thing to talk about. Totally get that. 
but it's something that is sort of a go-to argument for a lot of Blade Runner fans that I don't think I don't think ever really goes anywhere. And I think we're all pretty familiar with the reasons for and against. And we're all also familiar with the fact that both Ridley Scott and Harrison Ford are both pushing these opposed arguments on it over time. And that it's just sort of this, it's, it's, it's become, to my mind, sort of a pointless exercise. That being said, there are things in that argument that are certainly worth talking about um, because I think they illuminate his character a little bit. So we're going to touch on some of that. And then also we're going to get to some of the things that you guys wrote in with um, when we shared this on Facebook earlier because we, you got some really cool thoughts and we want to make sure we get to those too because, as Jamie said, Deckard is one of those characters who is sort of everything and nothing at the same time. He's he's at the heart of the franchise and also strangely absent from the heart of the franchise. And it's amazing that on the Blade Runner podcast, we've never dedicated an episode to the character who, in most popular opinion, is Blade Runner. You know, most people, if you if you go to, you know, Joe Schmo on the street and you say, hey, you know, Blade Runner, they're going to say, oh, it's a Harrison Ford movie, right? Um, whereas if you go to anybody who listens to this podcast or is in the groups that we're in, they're going to they're going to have a much sort of different take on it. But at the end of the day, Deckard is the protagonist, at least nominally, of the first film. And he's at the heart of the second film as well. And he's somebody that obviously warrants talking about. And I think it's interesting that we haven't necessarily gone into him in any depth yet. But before we go any further, Dan, uh, do you, you want to say anything? Oh. I was just going to say, I think uh, why we haven't gone into Deckard, much like we didn't go into K, um, is because the questions that Blade Runner asks are so big. We are almost hung up on those big questions um, more than we are hung up on the characters because it's not just about the characters. It's about who are we? What does this mean? Where do we belong? What is being human? What is not being human? And those questions have kind of taken up our space. Yeah, and I, I also think it's easier to explore those questions using a more minor character like uh, Love or Mariette or... Um, uh, help me out here. I'm uh, thinking of a character from the first movie like Gaff, for example. Um, I think when you keep the character you're exploring who is a smaller part and is written, you know, there's not as much about that character. It's easy to expound more philosophically, whereas you start to get into Kay and Deckard and Joy and Rachel, and there's so much there within itself that it's it can be more complex and more difficult, I think, to explore the bigger overarching issues of the plot because there's already so much to talk about within that character, especially when we try and keep these episodes to like an hour-ish. Uh, you know, on, on a character like Deckard or Kay or Joy, it's really difficult to do, which obviously we can have more episodes on them later and, and we'll go back to these characters as, as, as the conversations evolve. But um, yeah, in, in a way, not that we've been scared to talk about it, but we're like, oh, we'll save Kay for later. Oh, we'll save Deckard for later because there's so right, much to right. talk. You know, I mean, how many times have we done that with Joy? We've had all these discussions and it's like, we'll save the three, four episodes we're going to do just on Joy for later. I think it's sort of like with these big characters, it's kind of like when you're when you're at the fa at the base of a, of a huge mountain and it's very clear that there's a top to it, but there's so many routes to go up and you have to really think about how to get there and is this actually the perfect way to approach it? And so at the end of the day, it becomes harder to climb the mountain because you could kind of go through it so many different ways. So we kind of decided, let's actually just do an episode on Deckard. Let's talk about this guy who is sort of at the center of the story and, uh, and, and share your thoughts and our thoughts on him. So I guess, I guess the first thing we should start with is the eternal question, which, again, is a valid question, if it's not necessarily the most exciting one to ask, which is whether or not Deckard is a replicant. Um, so I'll kick it off to you guys. What are your, 
what are your thoughts on this uh, as a question and also as a nature of, uh, of, of whether or not he is? What are you doing here? I heard the piano. Don't lie. It's rude. You're a cop. I'm not here to take you in. Oh, yeah? Then what? I just have some questions. What questions? Well, like we discussed for myself, I don't, I don't care. I don't care. It's not a question I've ever had. I've heard people talk about it again ad nauseum. Um, and I, I, part of me, when I, I wonder why people want to know, and I think there's this, there's this, the nature of um, the American audience wants to know everything. We want to know, well, what's like, I've seen it recently in, in um, some Facebook groups dedicated to Blade Runner. Well, why didn't Deckard say, why didn't Kay say this? Why didn't Kay say, I thought you were my father or whatever, you know? Um, and they want definitives. And um, Deckard, it is not definitive. In fact, by the time we see him in 2049 and by the end of 2049, they play on that ambiguity. They don't tell us what he is. Now, even though I don't care, I have a theory. Well, not a theory. I, just based off what I've seen in 2019, if you go to Deckard's apartment, um, what do you see all over his apartment? Photos. Old photos. Um and I'm thinking, why would he have all these old photos all over his apartment? Because they're memories. But why are those memories all over? My theory and is, plants. if this is true, <laughs> Deckard was awoken into life right when we meet him in 2049 with all of those memories and everything. Wait, right? you, mean, you mean in 2019? 2019, I'm sorry. Yeah. So right when we meet Deckard is when essentially Deckard is woke, woken up is when Deckard leaves the Tyrell Corporation and he's on the street eating noodles because that's what he's been programmed to do. So he's kind of blasé to the world because that's, if this is true, which I don't, I have no opinion on, um, to me, it's almost like his whole narrative is right there. All of his memories are right there. Everything is, and he's kind of just kind of going along and he's supposedly retired from the service, um, but they call him back to go do this certain thing, which is kind of odd because other people can do it. Holden isn't the only Blade Runner. There's other Blade Runners. Right, Gaff. Gaff, why do they need Deckard? They don't need Deckard. So that's just a theory. I mean, I'm sure there's rebuttals and it could be disproven. But again, it just seems strange that he has all those old photos. Like she brings to him a photo of her childhood and he's like, well, it's not true because such and such. Well, then well, how, are, how are all of his photos true? Why? You know? Okay. I um, mean, I, I will say, not that we're trying to argue this point, because that's not really our, our goal here. I will say, though, that in um, deleted scenes, there certainly is a famous one where he shows Rachel a picture of him with his wife. So that's different from Rachel showing him a picture of her as a little girl with her mom, mm -hmm. supposedly, because obviously that's Tyrell's niece and that's not her. Deckard actually has a picture of himself. Now they didn't use it in the final version of in any of the final versions of the film, but they did make that prop at some point, just as a counterpoint mm -hmm, to that. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess if you were finished with that point, Jamie, yep, um, which is a great theory, 
Um, I would add that, yes, generally my opinion is I don't think the answer to that question is that important, but the philosophical ramifications of the character and of ourselves really, and of everyone we see in the movie asking themselves the question, if they're replicants, is it possible that I could be a human or what does it mean to be a human? If they're human, have I ever taken the Voight-Kampf test? Is it possible that I'm a replicant? Questioning your reality, and I've said this before on the show, um, at the at the at the risk of sounding repetitive, I think it's really important because that's how a lot of science fiction is, right? It makes us question our own reality. And I've often brought this up when people who haven't seen Blade Runner, the original, um, ask me what the movie is about. Which obviously for us Blade Runner nerds, it's difficult to summarize. But often I will find myself um, stating in a in a brief paragraph, well, imagine. That if someday someone walked into your life and told you that everything you knew about your whole life was a lie. I mean, really, if I don't know you that well, or if I'm talking to Patrick, let's say, how would Patrick convince me that um, his parents are real and his childhood was real and that his children are really his and, and things like that? You know, he can show me photos and he can have shared memories with Micah, his wife, and they can tell me stories about things they did together, or maybe they have video, whatever. Um, but in the end, if there was some technology to recreate those things, it would be very difficult to prove that those things weren't implanted and that they were real. And so um, obviously that's more of a thing with Rachel in the first movie, but I think that um, she, you know, when she says, hey, have you ever taken this test yourself? And, and you see the kind of looks and, and Deckard never answers that question, right? But there are plenty of scenes in the movie where you can tell he's kind of thinking about the nature of all of this. And I think that's what's important about the question. It's not whether he is or isn't a replicant. It's the fact that he also might not know exactly who he is and, and where he comes from. Oh, I, I, and I completely agree with that. Um, and, and I think that um, in, in the book, I think that Philip K. Dick specifically didn't even address that question because it wasn't really important. And I think that um, it, it wasn't, it, he wasn't setting up a mystery for us to uncover. I think that the, the mysteriousness of the situation has happened in subsequent iterations of the film. But I do think that the point, so one of the, to me, salient themes in Dick's book is that, um, <clears throat> is that Deckard is, is a human, ostensibly, who is dehumanized through the way he um, interacts, interacts with inhuman um, or inorganic um, objects. So like the way that he, he thinks of replicants and the way that he thinks of, you know, animals, like how he like, you know, doesn't care about the electric sheep, for example. Um, and then, but also in the book, the replicants are becoming more human continually. And it's this sort of passing, um, that I think is thematically really tied to 2049 where this, it's sort of harder to tell what's what. And I think that, um, as a theme in 2019, it's clear to me that, um, the actual nature of Deckard doesn't really matter so much as the journey that he's on through becoming human. Um, because ultimately that's what it's about, right? Like he, he learns the value of, of his life and he learns that, you know, he, he does have agency and worth and um, because those are things that we ascribe to humanity, you know, like that's sort of his journey towards being um, human. And, you know, of course, every time the film has been recut, especially the scenes in his apartment have been changed. And, um, and I think that's always led uh, viewers to, to wonder why certain decisions have been made. And, and obviously the, the unicorn scene um, was a, a big clue that Ridley Scott at least was trying to impose this idea that he was a replicant. 
And I and I love that. I love that it's become continually harder to figure out what is actually going on because I think it's actually enriched the film. And I can't really think of any other movie where that would make sense. To like to me, it's it's sort of, it's sort of funny that um, you can have like you know who the the protagonist of a movie be pretty uh, unclear in, in both not only his motivation but in his actual biochemical makeup. And um and we can be totally cool with it and and as time goes on it can get more confusing and we can be even cooler with that because for some reason it makes it more mysterious and beautiful. I would totally agree. Um, and I I think that the ambiguity, well, first of all, the ambiguity of Blade Runner, the Blade Runner films, are I mean that's the beauty of these films is that they are ambiguous and they are films that demand conversation and there there's no certainty. I mean, there's a few things that are certain. But generally, there are there is no certainty. We have to figure things out. The question of whether or not Deckard is a replicant, that'll probably always be a question. Um, but I, you know, as you were talking, and as I've been thinking about discussing, uh, talking about this this episode, just the the planning of it, I, I was thinking about the term um, "more human than humans," or that actually was twenty forty nine. But the the Tyrell tagline is "more human than human." More human than human. That's our motto. I, I think about that, and what I really see, like especially um, embodied in Deckard, is this human who isn't human, who's lost his empathy, who's lost his drive for life. He isn't human. So, uh, and we were talking about this earlier, like really the question for Deckard is, is he human? But the answer to that isn't, yes, he's a replicant, is no, he's lost his humanity. Yes. Um, and um, so he isn't human, and um, I think that's that's the discussion right there. Is we we are given a character from the beginning who's kind of emotionless, passionless, uh, with without empathy, without uh, he's not really a kind man. Um, he's just kind of out for himself, and I think that is the essence of losing your humanity. Um, and I think when we end up uh, as as a human race, parts some of us taking part in horrible things, whether it's wars or or uh, killing of innocent people, that's the essence of us losing our humanity, and it begins somewhere. And mm-hmm. and with Deckard, we're seeing the beginnings of of you know if you you know you think about uh, you think about like uh, Bryant and you see it even uh, I'll fast forward a little bit to twenty forty nine like there's just this emotionless emptiness about these characters, about Joshi, you know, she just, she seems kind of empty. So there are these humans that seem kind of like they've, they've lost their humanity. They've lost their culture. They've essentially, it seems like the, I don't know if America is America anymore. I don't really know what's going on in the world, but they've lost something. And in that losing, they've also lost their humanity. And you have these replicants who are there who kind of embody our empathy. I mean, Roy Batty had empathy which is why Deckard was saved at the end. Um, so I think the question about Deckard is a, is a larger question, and, but it's still the same question. Is he human? Move in. Stop. Pull out track right. Stop. Center and pull back. Stop. Right, in a more... I think what you're saying is in a more philosophical totally, sense, is totally. human. Right, because again, you can ask the same question of the replicants, which we've talked about before, kind of batty as the uh, 
antagonist but the good guy and Deckard as the protagonist but the bad guy in terms of being a kind of a shitty guy. Um, and yeah, I think from going back to the noodle bar scene from the beginning, Deckard goes from being apathetic to sort of being forced in doing things and, and making some choices, of course, into doing things that are negative and that take away from your humanity, like shooting two women dead, one of them in the back, you know, et cetera. He's obviously not happy about it and, and he's kind of pigeonholed into it. And you can see him getting more and more drunk and you can see him uh, trying to detach, disconnect from reality more and more. Um, and of course, you constantly have the juxtaposition, especially in the third act of the first movie with uh, Roy Batty trying to, he's involuntarily getting detached from reality because he's dying. And he's trying to reconnect himself both physically through pain where he drives the nail through his hand and he's trying to regain feeling in his arm um, and through sort of avenging the deaths of his friends and, um, you know, the conversations, the deep conversations that he has very famously at the end of the movie with Deckard where he's trying to get him to face um, his humanity and, and then with action kind of shows what it really means to be human and, and Deckard's learning all that and um, and I think fast forwarding to 2049, you can see a lot of that in Harrison Ford's eyes when he plays the older Deckard, especially in the scene where they bring back Rachel. I think you see all of that. You see that he's gone from, again, the almost rapey love scene that we've done an episode on to uh, being forced to hunt down and kill these replicants to drinking himself into oblivion, which he seem, he appears to still be doing in 2049, but for different reasons. Um, and you see him sort of, you see emotion returning to his face and you see him dealing with the one person that humanized him the most. And she wasn't a human. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that that whole aspect of it is fascinating. And so in a way, Back to something we were talking about at the beginning and we were trying to say, we were trying to ask the question, what is Deckard's purpose in these movies, especially the first one, since he's a bigger part of it. Is he just a vessel? I mean, is he a character that's used to sort of explain the plot and explore these other characters? Or is he the most important character in the movie? Some of that is affected, I think, by which version of the movie you watch. The narration you know, the, the version where um, Harrison Ford does the voiceover narration um, certainly explains, does a lot more explaining of the movie and makes the character seem a lot more like just a narrative function or a plot function to really get the point across to the audience, right? Right. And then they move the scenery and the light change and I was in this room instead. <laughs> exactly. And then you see instead... Like, such as the final cut where there is no voiceover narration and you get these sort of longer, more pensive atmospheric shots where you have to wonder what's going through Deckard's head right now. Um, what is he thinking about when he's at the noodle bar and doesn't really have any concern in terms of the concerns he has later, but he's obviously doesn't look like a happy guy. He's just kind of like in the slums in LA, not off world, you know, arguably divorced based on previous narration and stuff. Um, to then dealing with, uh, you know, having to murder people essentially and, 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 and being alone and dealing with his loneliness. Um, and, and you see that, that change in his eyes and in his expression, which, because again, um, it's acted so well. I mean, 
Well, I was just going to say, I think an, an important distinction, too, is that, and this is not getting into the human versus replicant argument, but further uh, in terms of his, like, function within the plot. In the book, <clears throat> he starts off as, like, really kind of a shitbag, you know? Like, he really has no respect for, for replicants or for synthetic anything. Um, in the movie, what's that? Or for himself that much, really, either. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's he's just a, he's a mess. Or his wife. He's just he's just sort of a douchebag. But then in uh, in 2019, he is already retired when we see him for the first time. And I, and I think that there's obviously a reason for that. And I would imagine that we kind of when we encounter Deckard for the first time in the film, he's already gone through the, sort of the process that he goes through in the book, which is he starts to see replicants as not just these empty vessels and he sees them as things that are worthy of um, dignity you know and because of that I think he has a crisis of faith and he drops out of the police force and blah blah blah, blah gets pulled back into it um, and but but everything that happens to him from then on in the, both the rest of 2019 and the, and 2049 is a reaction to that it's somebody who decided who decided that he was done and then was pulled back into it uh, and not allowed to leave, and I, and I think that there's there's something to be said for that. I don't, I don't even know what, but I, I think I think I think basically I think to me the idea of Deckard in Blade Runner is that he is he's sort of ooh here's a point he's kind of like our Voight comp <laughs> test he's kind of, he's kind of our VK test because Deckard is experiencing transformations and empathy throughout the film and throughout the book and in watching him and in putting ourselves in his shoes we are finding the humanity within ourselves or like, like, or the black, I guess so he's kind of a baseline test. I, I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that Deckard to me is a way for us to view. He's, he becomes our metaphor in the narrative where we can watch what he's going through and watch his transformation as a character and examine ourselves and think about transformations that we've gone through and think about, turning on life again and turning on empathy again and seeking the humanity and the shared humanity in people and treating animals, for example, as, you know, things that are worthy of um, dignity. I agree. And I think to kind of riff off what you were saying, I, I think in the beginning, D Deckard is a mirror. It's this is humanity once at the point where we've lost it, where we are making these things that we're not calling human, even though they are human, and we're saying they're not human, and we're killing them, and we're banning them, and we are, you know, we've enslaving them. we're enslaving them, and we've raped the world of of all of its goodness, so it can't we can't benefit from it anymore, so we're leaving it. Um, it's it's kind of the it's we meet Deckard and the world of you know Los Angeles 2019. It's at a place where we all fear to go. That's at a place where everyone fears that dystopia that we've, we've taken from the world what we can get from it. It has nothing more to offer. Um, we've lost our humanity. We treat, you know, we make, we make humans and we don't call them humans and we treat them as slaves or pleasure models or we do all of these things. And this is where we're at. So this kind of, it's almost like Deckard's a zombie a little bit. He's just kind of walking through life, just kind of like, okay, I need to eat. Just kind of not really interested in anything, not really showing any spark of life except for the job that he has to do and he's forced to do. So that's, and he doesn't seem passionate about it. He seems forced into it. And that's really the only emotion that we see from him until Rachel demands his emotion from him. 
You know, it's funny too, is I'm, I'm remembering in the book, he, I'm sorry, I keep bringing the book up, but I, I feel like it's important because we don't talk about it on the show at all. And also because it kind of provides insight into, into the formation of his character in the script. Um, in the book, he doesn't know for sure if he's a human or a replicant. Remember, he goes through sort of this crisis and he, and he has a fellow bounty hunter um, hook him up to a VK device to test him, um, which of course uh, he, he passes. He's, you know, he's empathetic. Um, but he, but he feels like his inability to feel empathy for the replicants that he's killing or retiring means that he might be a replicant himself. And, and so I, so I, I think some of the subsequent confusion over his, the nature of his character is kind of, it's sort of putting into our heads, the struggle that's in Deckard's head in the book. And in doing that is sort of like magnifying his character a lot. Yeah, uh, I I also wanted to add a minor point that escaped me for a second, but earlier when you were talking about why speculating on why Deckard may have retired, and I think a good indicator there is that um, you know the actor himself, I, I want to say Harrison Ford was thirty seven at the time, so you know obviously the character will be a similar age. They didn't age him, so he's in his right. mid to late thirties, pretty young age to be retiring. So I think they use right. the they use the term retired, but I think you're right. I think he quit the force because of the emotional heaviness of the tasks that he was uh, put upon that he was made to do. Um, I think his age kind of shows that or his young age, I guess. I kind of wanted to move on just because I know, Patrick, you were interested in doing this as well. And so I wanted to read, um, well, one comment that really struck me. So we, a couple of days ago, Jamie, or maybe even today or yesterday, not, not that long ago, uh, Jamie put out a message on our Fields of Calantha. Patrick did that. Oh, I'm sorry. Patrick did that. <laughs> my fun. bad. It was um, my idea. <laughs> it was my idea. Uh, well, good on you. Uh, but we we put out a message to kind of uh, get people's opinions on what they thought of Deckard for the purpose of, you know, bringing it up in the show. And uh, maybe we could go around and, and read the ones that were more significant to us or that we liked or that stuck with us. Um, Let's do it. Yeah, so I, I one of the very last ones online right now, and this is from Jermaine Plunkett, who uh, she has commented before. She had a very, very good comment on the love scene. Um, not necessarily on our episode, just on the love scene, you know, post-episode, uh, or even responding to our uh, Facebook message that was really poignant, and I think I may have read it in the other episode, but... Um, again, she just is very eloquent. So I'd like to read what she says about Deckard. So she commented in a conversation, um, Deckard is the Blade Runner. I think he is the conduit for the interaction of all the characters and the central theme of redemption. I do not think Harrison Ford is fully credited for an extraordinarily brave and generous performance as the antihero, never asking for our pity or approval. He came to the film with a heroic backstory from Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark, but never used that aura. When we meet him, he is badly damaged, filled with disgust for himself and what he does. A goddamn one-man slaughterhouse, in quotations. For me, the story would be meaningless if a human Deckard wasn't part of the narrative. The question, what is human, what it means to be human, needs Deckard. A flawed, damaged, brutalized man 
I'm sorry, brutalized human character to contrast against the replicants. I have always found it surprising that people are more ready to forgive Roy, who is also a killer, than Deckard. Through Rachel, who I see as the heart of the film, he rediscovers his humanity, and through Roy Batty, who spares his life, redemption. Deckard is also the link to 2049, and Harrison Ford gives an astonishing performance. In the scene with Rachel, he takes us from wonder to heartbreak. He has sacrificed everything to protect Rachel and their child. I am very glad the final moment of the film belongs to him, as he looks at his grown child for the first time and reaches out to touch the glass. Pretty awesome. That's a great yeah. There's another one by uh, Crow Neva. I think that's his name. Perhaps I'm not sure if it's a man or a woman. Pardon me, Crow. Um, they say everyone wants to interpret the character their own way, whether he be replicant or human. Personally, I think the question should never be answered, and it's perfectly fine. Why? Because that makes him alive and crosses the gap between the two types of people. He's what the replicants want to be. Someone so human, but possibly still replicant, who is looked upon as an equal. Screw the question. The question is irrelevant. He's both human and replicant. Which I think plays right into what we were discussing. I think the question of humanity isn't so much the opposite of humanity as replicant or robot. It's loss of humanity. It's just empty vessel. It's just getting up and going about your routine with no passion for life. No, no opinion about it. Um, and just kind of surviving or less than surviving. I do think that there's an allegory here for depression too, just in general um, with Decker. Like, like to, to me, having, having had some depressive episodes in my life, um, I, I really kind of feel like Deckard is a, is a really effective evocation of that um, in terms of how he just feels like sort of locked in himself and he can't really he, like sort of like he's going through the motions, but nothing's really um, real outside of his own head. And I feel like that reality, like like like, um, like Dan in the beginning, you were talking about Roy, you know, shoving the nail in his hand. It's sort of like um, that awakening, that reawakening. I think is a really big part of his character, and it's sort of like when you come, when you come out of having, um, you know, some it not it doesn't have to be clinical depression, but any kind of a depressive you know moment in your life, and and remember and remembering feeling and um, being kind of reawoken to it. And and I think that that goes with the whole empathy thing as well, as it's like kind of emerging from outside of your own head again. And seeing the world in color, and along those lines, Alexander House has a great comment too, where he says, um, "It might not be that universal, but Deckard represents a time in my life where I realized that I had to deal with my disability rather than run away from it. All my life up until then, even though I was really young, I thought everything was just fine. My speech will eventually be normal when I'm older." Denying that my disability was even a thing, it wasn't until I got a little bit older where I noticed my speech was still not normal, and I also noticed society treated me different. That moment at the end of the final cut of 2019, where Deckard finds the origami unicorn in his apartment, the way he reacted, like, okay, this is a real thing, I have to, to deal with this, is the same way I felt. And I, and I, I totally get that. I think that there, there is something about that final moment. And you get that in the original cut, I think, as well, although it's not quite as stark, but that he makes a decision in the end of the movie to chase life, right? To do the dangerous thing and the right thing, and to go boldly in the direction of living. And no matter how you cut that, whether it's being awoken to the reality of a disability or being awoken to the to the reality of, you know, um, uh, of a romantic situation that isn't what you thought it would be or of getting some sort of a diagnosis, like there are moments in your life where there is a before and an after point and there is a moment of transition. And I think that the end of twenty of 2019, regardless of the cut, is is 
it exists in that liminal space and then he passes through it into the future. And I think that um, it's really important that Deckard goes through that journey. And luckily in every cut of the film, he does. He starts off as this just completely closed off shell, this desiccated, you know, husk. And then by the end of the film, he is is full of life. And I think that that is, uh, is a wonderful metaphor for being awoken and and i think that's largely what the book and and also both both films are about really she's a replicant isn't she i'm impressed how many questions does it usually take to spot i don't get it tyrell how many questions 20 30 cross-referenced it took more than a hundred for rachel didn't it she doesn't know She's beginning to suspect, I think. Suspect? How can it not know what it is? And I don't think that, um, like, there's the, the of course, the talk when, when uh, Deckard sees the unicorn that, oh, it, Gaff was reading his mind. Gaff knew he was a replicant. What I actually think is along the lines of what you just said. I think Deckard sees the unicorn, and I believe it's a coincidence. that, But what he's realizing is that life is short. Life is special. It's like this aha moment that he has. It wasn't this, oh my God, you can even see it on his face. It wasn't this, oh my God, Gaff knows that I'm a replicant. It's, I need to chase life. Too bad she won't live. Then again, who does? Meaning, we're all going to die. It doesn't matter who you are. You have to, you know, who does, you better go for it. Yeah, you have to live. That was yeah. his realization. Right, right. That was I, the look I, on his you face. To, you have to choose life. You have to choose mm-hmm. to live. Yeah. He, you, you're, for myself, I don't know about you guys, but like, Deckard's kind of like, he's kind of in the way, you know, like he's in the way of the story. He's kind of obtuse, and uh, it's like, it's like I, I don't want to be bothered with him, in some ways. It's like just show me Rachel and I'll be okay. Um, but by the end of 2019, I'm all aboard Deckard. You know, like I, I, you can see he's softer, he's kinder. When he goes to wake up Rachel, he's like, Rachel, you know, do you trust me? Do you love me? He's he's the, not the same man that we meet in the beginning. Yeah, I, I think, um, I, again, I think there's a difference between, I think in the same way that we, for years, we spent 35 years looking at the first movie, right? Our whole lives, essentially, for those of us that are in our, you know, <coughs> 33, early, thank early, you very much. early 30s to early 40s. Um, We've spent so much time thinking about the first movie and Deckard within the context of that movie, but then having the script of 2049 and watching that movie several times now and exploring it has expanded the arc of that character so much. So now we can still talk about Deckard within the context of 2019, right? And keep it to that. But I think when you start from the noodle bar scene and end with him putting his hand on the glass when he meets his daughter, there's so much emotional and personal evolution there that it really, I mean, it exponentially grows the character of Deckard, right? Even things that we've discussed recently, like uh, the love scene, right? A lot of people were commenting. It's like, yeah, I don't understand. How could someone go from this sort of aggressive, rapey scene where he's like trying to have his way with her, but then he falls in love with her and he's really confused and he doesn't know what he's doing to all of a sudden, you know, she 
obviously they go through what they go through. She gets pregnant, has a baby. He has to leave that all behind. And I mean, that's, that's some monumental stuff. And that's the only person he's ever with, at least as far as we know in the plot, certainly the most important person he was ever with. And she's a replicant. Um, and I just think that, well, there's, there's so much there to unravel. So maybe we could kind of go from, we talked already about the first movie, I think, and kind of, you know, his evolution, uh, from apathy to sort of negativity and anger and, (laughs) and then to sort of redemption and, and really by the end finding his humanity again. Right. And then escaping with Mm -hmm. Rachel and I think we can pick up if one of you guys wants to pick up the arc from there into sort of in between movies, what we do, what they don't show us, and then into 2049 when we first see him. In between both films, 2019 and 2049, we know that Rachel is pregnant. Rachel has a baby. From what we know, I guess Deckard is long gone by the time the baby is born. But De- but Deckard helps in the hiding for sure. He helps in the hiding. He scrambles the records. He. Helps hide the child, even though I don't think he even knows what sex the child... No, I think he does know he has a daughter. Um, and he takes off, and he's gone. And so he he's in an interesting place when we meet him, because when we leave him in 2019, he's, uh, again, awoken to life, awoken to love and passion and all those hopeful. things. Hopeful. And then when we meet him again, he's lost all of it. And so when we meet Deckard again, I don't like him anymore. Huh. Um and I know that he's gone through things. You mean but you don't like him again? I don't like him again. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's kind of steely and and stoic, and he doesn't want to talk, and he doesn't want to. He's just shut down. He is shut down again. And he also, when we see him again, he leaves Kay behind. Remember, he locks the door. Yeah, he's not empathetic. He's no, not. He's he, lost. He that, doesn't yeah. care why Kay is there. He's back being the Deckard he was. And I, you know, it makes me think too. Rachel is the person that reignited Deckard's humanity and his love for life. If he ever had it when he was younger, I imagine he did. Um, And with Rachel dying, it all goes away and he almost becomes, at least he becomes similar to how he was before. So it's almost like Rachel helped him connect back to humanity through her. But once she was not there anymore, he lost his connection to humanity again and he lost his interest in humanity again. And he's sort of living, but he's not really living, right? I mean, he's by himself carving out, you know, wood animals in in Vegas, literally in an entire metropolis where he's the only person there. It's a Um, manifestation of what we saw in the beginning where it seemed like he was alone in this great big city with all these people. Now he's alone in a great big city with no people. physically alone and doesn't seem to care to want to see. He's hiding. He doesn't seem to want to see anyone. Uh, He certainly hasn't quit drinking. (laughs) If anything, that's gotten worse. (laughs) And and, um, yeah, by the time Kay shows up, he's suspicious and certainly does not seem happy to uh, see another person. Which is, you know, this is funny because now uh, I was in an old bookstore uh, up in Washington when I went to see my friend there recently and out of the bookshelf popped out um, a copy of Treasure Island, which I've never read. But I knew that the line that Deckard uh, quotes to Kay from the book. Toasted. Yeah, about uh, <laughs> about whether he, he has a piece of cheese, might, mightn't you have a piece of cheese 
uh, many of the night that I dreamt cheese. <laughs> so, <laughs> Sorry, I'll stop. So I, I instantly was curious to find that line and find the context. So I read the chapter that that line was in, um, and it was, I believe, the main character uh, who's on this island, and there there's conflict, and there's there's an antagonist, and he's sort of trying to get from one side of the island to the other. And you know, listeners can write in. Certainly, again, I'm not trying to pretend like I read the whole book. Um, but he runs into this kind of shadowy figure that's darting around between the trees. At first, he's not sure if it's a monkey or it's a man, but, um, and then it becomes obvious that it's a human and he's in rags and sort of this, uh, shambles. He's, he's sort of got this put together outfit. He's obviously been on this Island for a long time. I think you find out it's been like three years and he was marooned here by his crew. And so he's starting to kind of lose his marbles a little bit. And, you know, he asks him if he has some cheese. Then he starts talking about his experience and what happened to him. And, you know, anyways, uh, and the narrative goes on from there. But, of course, the most simple connection, because I don't think in writing that out, they were trying to make some kind of super deep connection to that book. Um, but the simple connection is, of course, that uh, Deckard is marooned in Vegas. I mean, he's essentially on this lonely island by himself with no other human contact. And this is the first contact that, uh, human contact that he, well, human quote unquote contact that he runs into. And of course he points a gun at him, right? I mean, he points his blaster at him and he's, uh, instantly suspicious, but I, you know, I, I had to bring that in. I found that to be a really interesting, uh, connection. Well, and I think it also implies that he's had access to like a library when he's because he's probably like, you know, when you're alone for that much time, you probably end up reading a lot because it's one of the few things you can do. And people probably left books in their luggage. And, you know, he probably found a copy of Treasure Island and realized that there were parallels to his own life. And, you know, um, and and so him saying that, you know, indicates just how long he's been there, too, I think. Um, and I, I don't know, is is there is there proof that nobody else had ever been there? And that he hadn't been found in the past and dealt with it. Yeah, I mean, because it was so fortified. I feel like at some point, and it's also, it's so central. I guess because it's it was irradiated, maybe people stayed away. But I would imagine at some point, somebody would have come calling. Um, sure. I mean, you know, 30 years, as the plot uh, says, is a long time. It's a long you time. Would, and you would think just logistically, the city's been irradiated. At some point, he would have to possibly trade with people at a minimum, even if he wasn't hanging out playing cards with them. Um, yeah, he might have had some kind of connection with people. Of course, the plot doesn't go into that. Because, but... I mean, he's even he's also got like a big bee colony sitting out in the middle. Um, right. At, at some point, somebody must have seen him. But the point still stands that you're making, which is, which is that this is a, a very rare moment of contact with somebody else. Uh, yes. Totally. And there's one scene when he, after him and Kay meet and have their fight or whatever, that I think is great. It's, 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 it does show, even though we, we feel like uh, Deckard has kind of retreated and returned to his old self, he hasn't fully because there's this, when the, there's that dog and the dog um, is lying on the floor and Kay looks at it and looks at Deckard and goes, is it real? And Deckard says, I don't know. Oh, him. <laughs> and I love that line because Deckard is past that. It doesn't matter if it's real or not. It doesn't matter. And really, I also think that was Denny Villeneuve saying that was for the audience. Because oh, totally. Uh, as we know, Deckard asked that question to to um, Rachel in 2019. And in fact, in Shanahan's book, um, when she told him it wasn't real, he became disinterested. So 
there was a part of that Deckard that's still alive, that's still there, where he fell in love with Rachel, he had a child with Rachel, it didn't matter if Rachel was a replicant or not. He's past all that. He's past all of it. It doesn't really matter. Um, so, but I, And I love that they included it. It just it kind of gives you a, a little bit of a piece of where his emotional heart is, even though it's buried. It's still, um, he's past that. It doesn't matter if something is real or not. It just matters what your connection to it is. And as a comedic side note, I'd like to add that from now on <laughs> with this episode, I think that uh, Patrick has now uh, put the image for everyone to think of of Christian Bale in like a Batman outfit playing Rick Deckard <laughs> in the bar, which is awesome to think of. <laughs> um, but yes. Uh, yeah. And I think you see those are the first scenes after the fight, right? The fight is sort of his initial reaction to being uh, accosted by someone and he's suspicious and he tries to kill him. And, um, after Kay kind of physically wearing him out where he's very obviously trying to not fight him saying, look, I could do this all day. You can keep hitting me, but you're 70 mm-hmm. years old. You're going to have to give up, which is how he gets him to finally sit down and talk. And I think those are some of the most intimate moments, although he's still being gruff and he's still being standoffish. Those are some of the most intimate moments we see into Deckard's mind as he starts to sort of release that hold on his emotions and starts Kay starts to force him to think back on Rachel when she was young and when she was alive and when she was pregnant. Um, You know, these are things that he probably thinks about all the time, but in some ways after 30 years, he's probably tried it as much as he can to move on and sort of live his life and not just sit in a depression all day long and think about it. I'm sure he hasn't been very successful at that, but you know, they're not happy thoughts for the most part. Um, although he has good memories with Rachel, but very short. Again, we've talked about it, you know, year, year and a half timeline, maybe that they that they were with each other. Not very long considering uh, how old he is. And you can kind of see the wetness start to appear in his eyes when he, when he thinks about her name and he's trying to describe why he did what he did, where Kay is questioning like, you know, didn't you love this person? How could you leave her like this? And, and, you know, he, he gets angry, you know, we were being hunted and, you know, it's what I had to do if I wanted her to survive, which of course in the end she didn't survive anyway. So it's so tragic that he chose to walk away from her at that time in the interest of her health and her safety. And he actually walked away from her for the very last time. He never saw her again in that form. really powerful conversation i mean when you put yourself in his shoes and think about if this was someone in your life um really really deep moments there and it's not only that but what's also happening too and i don't think we even discussed this during our k episode you have this man there k who is potentially talking to his father and he wants to know his mother's name and he wants he wants to know his mother's name and so k is there to like case for all intents and purposes at that moment Kay is speaking to his father, his father who's been trying to kill him and bludgeon him. Um, but of course, Deckard knows that it's not Kay's and his child because Deckard knows he had a daughter. Um, but for what's happening in Kay's head, we think, is I want answers. You're, are you my father? What was my mother's name? 
tell me, you know, he needs to know, he needs to hear it. Um, it's very emotional. It's a very emotionally charged scene, probably one of the most emotionally charged scenes in both films. Yeah, and 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 you know, it's also such a big part of Kay's journey too. You know, getting to that moment. Um, and it's 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 funny. I kind of forget, but you're absolutely right that um, the first time you see the movie, you are thinking that he's talking to his dad because you don't know the truth yet. So you're in the same position too, and 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 you're again in Kay's shoes. Um, you know, like awaiting these answers, which which end up taking a different direction. Um, but yeah, it, it's a really incredibly emotional thing. I think we, we all have moments in our lives where um, they're so beautiful and so sacrosanct that they're almost painful to think about. Um, like for me, like like early, like, like it's, it's very hard for me to watch videos of our kids when they were really young. And I say that you know, one of them's only one and a half years old, the other one's four and a half. But like, but when they were like infants, um, I like you know, my wife always wants to like watch these with me, and 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 I almost can't because it's sort of too beautiful. It's it's sort of it's like too, and it's never coming back again. It's this moment that's forever locked in this time, you know, that uh, is like encased in the amber of my memory, and 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 reaccessing it is very hard from an emotional point for me for me to do. And and I kind of get that sense with Deckard when he's asked about Rachel is he probably hasn't been thinking about her this whole time because it's too hard. It's too hard to. And, and so when he's forced to, I think that's the first time he's thought of her name in years um, because she's just become a part of his of his life and he's, and he's afraid to reaccess that because it would be too... Because of everything that he lost. I mean, like not only did, did he lose the love of his life and the child he never got to meet until the end, but he also lost humanity whatever connections he had he lost the ability to walk in the street he lost the ability to be a comparatively privileged member of society a law enforcement officer um he lost everything and he lost the ability to connect with other people and went off on his own into literally the desert um to be alone imprisoned in a palace and i think that um i think that probably was really 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 hard for him to to talk about yeah, totally. Um, yeah, the comment about your kids reminds me of something my mom has said to me before. And um, it's a little sad, but I understand where she's coming from, where she says, you know, the way you and your talking about me and my sister, the way uh, you and Erica were when you were little. Um, those children are dead, essentially. I mean, they're not they're not people anymore. They've they've you know, over the years you change, especially when you have young children and they change so much every six months, you know? And so that child that you see, for example, in your home videos doesn't exist anymore, you know, because eventually they're an adult. And so, and so I I agree with you. And I think from Deckard's perspective that, you know, 22, 23 year old Rachel, however old she was at the time, um, not only doesn't exist anymore from an emotional standpoint, because if she were alive, she would be 30 years older now, but he knows that she's gone, you know? And so she really is no longer exists except for in his memory. And so I think when he chooses to access that memory is probably has to be a special time for him, a time of his choosing in a context of his choosing. And this is being forced upon him and he does not like that. And he's reacting, he's reacting aggressively. Um, I think partly because of that, um, which, if I can roll this into kind of the next important scene, unless Jamie, you wanted to, I just have one more um, comment about that. 
I think we also have to remember that Deckard is dealing with the, the death of two people, essentially. His wife right. and his daughter. Right. Or, I don't know, his, you know, his lover, Rachel, and his daughter. And with his daughter, there's no body. So he doesn't know if his daughter's alive. He doesn't know if his daughter made it. He has no idea. So he's, imagine losing, you've lost the woman that you love or the person that you love, and you've lost this child you've made. You've had to take off because you know that your presence makes the life of this child, it makes, it puts the life of that child in danger. So Deckard's child you will all, never meet, and the never guilt know. of that, if he, you know, feeling guilty for it, like maybe this was my fault. I shouldn't have gotten involved. I should have maybe never met Rachel. She would have been alive now if I'd never met Rachel. All those things that played through your head when someone dies. Um, and I, it's just kind of a, in death is a, a very powerful, powerful thing. And we've all experienced it in our own ways. Um, losing people that we love. I lost a best friend years ago and, um, I, I can understand, and you know I know that um, Dan has dealt with people dying certainly recently, and um, something struck me about that where there someone said, you know, I do really really well um, when I'm distracted, and I think with Deckard everything was a distraction, um, so he doesn't have to think about these permanent things, the permanence of Rachel's death, the permanence of his child. Him never, essentially, he's never going to see his child again. That's the life that he was living. He would never see that child again. doesn't matter. It was done. It was over. He was probably going to end up dying in that building. Well, that well, that's the other thing is that the, the permanence of his isolation, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, where he, and it's, it's also, it's almost a curse for him too because here he was awoken to life and to love and to living this fuller, better life, even though there's danger involved, they had to take off. But for what? He lost it all. Like, but that's also the risk of life. Right, right. And, and, and that's sort of the point is, is that like that's what life is. Like life is doing the irrational thing because it's the right thing to do and because it's, it's, in, the, it's in the service of living in love, you know? Which is the decision that Kay had to make towards the yes, end. Yes, exactly. Right. And, and Deckard even calls him out on it. He says like, like, like who am I to you? You know, and uh, and and Kay doesn't say anything because he doesn't have to say anything because it was the human choice and it was the same journey that Deckard went on from 2019 to 2049. You know, you you arrive at an irrational place, doing something against your programming, because you know that it is the human dignified thing to do in the service of life and of love, and I think that's why it's those characters are eternal for us, even though. Especially Deckard does things that are questionable, certainly does things that aren't necessarily heroic. Ultimately, he is, he's all of us, and he's redeemed by his sacrifices. And so when we see, I, I do think that, so I, I think that in 2019, Deckard is never a hero. Like, I, I don't think he does anything heroic. I think in the end, he does something brave, but I don't know if it's a heroic act. But in 2049, he is a hero. He has sacrificed everything that he ever could have known and could have loved in the service of a greater good, which is the life of this child, a child he'll never meet. And, I have a question um, for both of you, though, uh, yeah. for the Deckard of 2049. If you were in his position um, and you are sitting there in the, in the, the, in the legacy of grief of the loss that you've experienced oh, and, and someone introduced you with this. <laughs> and someone introduced you to the love of your life, what would you do? A version of her. Could essentially be her, might have her memories. Sure, of course. What would you guys do, plausibly? 
So, 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 are, are you say, so you're saying if we were in the exact position that Deckard was in, the yes. are but, people that we Yeah, I'm, not, I'm okay. not saying with Rachel, I'm saying... But you're saying with a replicant. Yes, with, with, with or this. with... Yes. Okay. Oh, Jesus Christ, Jamie. <laughs> I'm curious. <laughs> Dropping bombs over here. Oh, man. Dan, you go first. Um, okay, well, I will tell you that uh, having gone through personal relationship uh big deal kind of phases in my life, uh, especially in the last six months, the way I watched 2049 in the movies hit me very personally watching that scene. And I remember thinking, um, man, if this person that I love so much walked back into my life just like that and was just like, you know, on a platter essentially emotionally in terms of, in terms of, I love you and I want to be with you and don't you love me and don't you miss me? And she looks identical. I mean, that, I've talked about it before on the show. I think the emotion you see in Deckard's face is just, for one, an incredible acting job by Harrison Ford, which I think was overshadowed by the magnitude of the rest of the film. Uh, in the Oscars, the magnitude of a lot of other roles. The wonder which, of the scene. The, yeah, the, just the, everything. The CG of the scene. Sure, and sure. Yeah. And even other movies that came out that year. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you talk about the Oscars, where it's like... Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm just saying, to me, like... And I'm not arguing that Harrison Ford should have been uh, nominated for an Oscar, but I'm saying that that particular scene was like an Oscar-worthy performance. I think if you know the past of the first movie and you understand the emotional dynamics that are going on in uh, Deckard's mind, that is a really powerful scene. Not just for him to be able to face that Rachel, um, but to then turn away from her and reject her and say, no, this is not reality. I know what's real and this is not her. Um, even to the point, and I, I know I've mentioned it on the show, so I won't go on about it in, in a lot of detail, but even to the point where he lies about her eye color and says her eyes were green, which we know isn't true, but he's trying to get them off of this idea that he could be corrupted. He could be tempted um, by this person who is not the person that he loved, arguably. I know we've talked about cloning and we've talked about whether this clone had all of Rachel's memories, et cetera, which is totally possible. Um, but in his mind, Rachel's gone. Rachel's Rachel has died. So, um, I mean, I guess I'm describing more my connection to that scene mm-hmm. to answer Jamie's question. Um, uh, yeah, that's a that's a tough one. I, I I don't know. I think what what Deckard does is really really emotionally brave, um, and you know it's like for a lot of things that I've read from being in the military and not having been in combat, it's like reading about combat. You can think what you would do in that situation and how you would react, but you don't really know unless you're in that situation. And so I, I would have to leave it at that. I, I really don't know what I would do in that situation, but it'd be very difficult. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't imagine surviving that situation personally, <laughs> like just the emotional shock of that. Um, I totally agree that his performance was just indelible. Um, to me, I, I think that if if I had known that this cloned replicant would have been in danger, then I wouldn't have have said anything, and I would have just tried to like help it escape. But um, but there's no way I would ever um, be fooled into thinking that it was you know my wife because uh, I would I would know I think. Um, but that being said, uh, it's yeah it's it's just an absolutely impossible situation. I also though I, I mean I I can't believe Deckard didn't kill himself. Um, to be honest, when he was in Las Vegas. 
the fact that he held on for that long. Um, I'm glad that he didn't, obviously, but I, I, I'm just picturing myself in his shoes and wondering if I would have not killed myself, and I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, and I was thinking about this earlier, most likely one of the things that kept Deckard alive and that kept that drive for life is that he knew it was, if it wasn't a certainty, he knew it was a possibility that this child was still alive. Right, right, which I'm assuming too, but I, I just feel like as time went on, that must have gotten just so difficult. Sure, but I mean, what a what a beautiful way, I think, to end 2049, where he connects with the memory of Rachel in several different scenes. He connects with Kay, you know, by the end of it, they they may not be father and son, but they certainly have an intimate relationship with what they've been through. And of course, uh, as our as our listener um, commented, they even end the film with him putting his hand on the glass and connecting with his daughter after 30 years, after all this time, after everything he's been through. And I mean, I, I could not think of a more beautiful scene. And it was almost uh, a rep. It was almost a, um, a retelling of the same scene of Rachel 2.0 here. You have his daughter walking from the shadows to greet him. The real part of Rachel that he missed. Right. Um, The only part of Rachel that still exists. Of the the original Rachel. Yeah. Um, it's it was it's a pretty profound thing. It's it's an, ama- an amazing an amazing way to end that film, and 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 that's again why I say like I, I don't think we need any more movies. Although if 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 there's a good reason for one, I say go for it. But but I, I feel like it's just a beautiful arc for his character. Yeah, I think the, it's a, it's the a, Deckard legacy is wrapped. Yeah, I I don't I don't want them to do an alien resurrection to this thing. I just just, just <laughs> let it just let it stop. It's it's just a beautiful. I mean, because you're totally right. Like you know, the first time we see Deckard, he's like you know shoving shit down his gullet in in a rainstorm, you know, uh, cut off from the world, and then and then we find him as an old man, finding this this like spark of humanity, and um, it's a, a beautiful journey for his character, and and I think that Harrison Ford's performance really sells it, and I think that um, the writing is just is just incredible, and I think it's just a, a beautiful arc. Yeah, you know, I think um, just to wrap it up, I'm going to actually answer that question that I posed to you guys myself. That's very honorable. Oh, <laughs> look at that. I'm um, waiting on one of you to say, well, what yeah. do you think, Jimmy? Sorry, sorry. We're toasted. Host, co-host fail. You're both Blade Runners. Um, <laughs> um, no, but I would, uh, I think for me, I would probably have accepted her knowing everything, knowing that, yes, this isn't the real whoever, Um but just she had such a, a look in her eyes that she wanted to be loved. And I would realize that there's enough of their, her there for me to love and for her to love me. I don't care if she's not the authentic one. That's enough for me. So I would have accepted her. Wow. But I would have accepted her knowing that, yes, this isn't authentic. I Meaning she's not the woman that I lost. But knowing that love is scarce. And that I'm a, if someone wants to love me, then I will certainly love them back. So, here's my answer. And I say we wrap. Yeah, I'd say that's a wrap. As do I, although I feel like we're... I kind of feel like in the course of this episode, we've kind of finally started uncovering who Deckard really is. So I feel like we're going to have to come back to this at some point and uh, yeah, incorporate more listener thoughts. Because I, 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 I feel like, like, you know, when we were leading up to recording tonight... 
we were all sort of floundering. Like, how do we even approach this topic? A and little I, bit. I think now we kind of. I think now we kind of know. I think now. I think Deckard is more than just this empathy vessel or this cipher or this narrative device. Yeah, I think he I, is. Uh, he's he's us. Sure, sure. Well, he's a mirror in a lot of ways. I mean, uh, again, we've we've all described our personal experiences watching uh, these movies and how um, we see our reflection, especially emotionally, in it. Um, and I would say also when we're doing these episodes on these bigger characters, we certainly are not limited to doing one episode. We're going to come back and revisit Deckard. We're going to come back and revisit Kay. We're going to do like 13 episodes on joy. You know, it's if if we're (laughs) keeping this in the episode, I'll just put it out there to everyone who's listening, um, who've listened to this conversation. Give us your thoughts. If you want to record a a voicemail, send that in. If you want to record like a, a voice memo, that's longer send that in we can do a part two and we'll tell us what what does Deckard mean to you how do you view him is he for some people he might always be an enemy for some people he might be a complete hero from day one how if that's true then why so I'd love to hear uh, our our listener thoughts yeah totally and and again this is in the show notes too but just in case you're listening and you have some ideas you can just call just dial on your phone 213-787-7894 this two one three seven eight seven seventy eight ninety four, and just leave us a voicemail. It's only you, it's a few minutes until it cuts off. So as Jamie said, if it does cut you off, um, you can just send a voice memo to Blade Runner Podcast at gmail dot com. Um, but we love like featuring featuring your voices on this, as you've noticed from past episodes. And uh, he's an important character for all of us. So show us your thoughts. Let's get you on the air. Well said. All right. Well, nice job, you guys. Yep. Thanks, guys. find out more about Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, please visit us on our website at www.perfectorganism.com. Shoulder of Orion is available for listen or download through Apple iTunes, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. If you'd like to join in the discussion, please join our official Facebook discussion group, Fields of Calantha, a Blade Runner discussion group.